I truly live. All right, Juno. <laughs> yeah. All right. How you doing? Good. Nice to meet you, Frank. <clears throat> Likewise. We get this thing set up here. Okay. All right. Well done on the book. Thank you. Thank For you. Loads. Pleasure. Not only because obviously. Uh, writing a book in and of itself is an achievement, but the nature of this particular book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm almost exhausted reading some of it. If you know, I've read a good bit and I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted because of the, the journeys. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. It, it was quite a journey. Always hard to summarize in any meaningful way in a one hour podcast or yeah. whatever, but, but, certainly a message that I'm looking forward to bringing into the world. Yeah. Where do you begin? I mean, um, yeah. you can begin at the start, which is always uh, um, <clears throat> the easiest way. But I suppose, well, actually, you know what we, but I might just ask you, because it's, um, it's ongoing. This, before we even yeah. get into the book, I suppose, I'm yeah. going to ask you, because <clears throat> in a way, I, I feel it's, it's a big part of the book, just uh, anyway. But how are you now? How are things? How is yeah. life now? Life is very good now, especially now that I've finally written the book and finally I've gone public with this, am going public with this. That has been a very healing and uh, deepening experience, actually, to claim my memories, to claim those experiences, and to begin to speak about them without inhibition has um, has deepened my integration of those experiences in my life. And I don't know where it's going. I, I, I suspect in three years, I may be in a very different place than I am now. And I'm in a good place now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and what we're talking about is, um, so the title of the book is LSD and the Mind of the Universe. And it it's basically a, a documentation of, 73 high dose LSD sessions trips that's yeah. the, and everything that comes with that and all your insights yeah. um so maybe um let's begin at the start because it's I, I think anybody who's taken a psychedelic will know uh, especially one if you've got on one big trip you know um yeah 73 is like 73 babies and, and yeah. 73 childbirths, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so maybe let's start at the start. Yeah. What? Okay. Did, did, you didn't know at the start that this is what you what was going to happen. It just you it took a trip yeah. and you documented it, but you didn't know you were going to keep going and going over this long period of time. Yeah. What happened was uh, fresh out of graduate school, 29 years old, in the middle of my Saturn return. Didn't know that yet at the time had finished my dissertation, was looking for where to take my research. I was a brand new uh, professor of religious studies at Youngstown State University. And I read Stanislav Grof's Realms of the Human Unconscious. It had just okay. been published, I read it in 1978. I saw that and I thought, I gotta get in on this. This is just fantastic. It's not only extraordinary for psychology, but it'll have enormous implications for philosophy of religion as well. So I, I felt the draw. I felt like I had found my life's work. 
I started the work. I knew that you had to, you know, to write truly out of an experiential basis, first you had to do your work. And that meant doing an unspecified number of sessions. I started with three low dose sessions, me about 200 micrograms, got my bearings, got my feet wet. And then I shifted in the fourth session to high dose sessions. I started, I worked at 500 to 600 micrograms consistently all the way through, which is not a protocol that I recommend. And yes, you know, in the book, I, I strongly do not recommend this protocol for reasons I explain in the book. Yeah. But basically, um, recorded, documented as carefully as I could, kept all the variables as uh, consistent as I could. I think one of the things that makes this story unusual is not just the depth of where it went, but the stabilization of the variables. In 20 years, always the same sitter, same set and setting, same physical location, Northeast Ohio, couple of places within Northeast Ohio, same medicine, same dose, same protocol for recovering memories of the session. So I think that established a very unusually stable listening post as I entered into this dialogue with the universe. Mm. Yeah, I, I always admire uh, works of patience and 20 years is, is a work of, uh, is, yeah, is patience. Yeah. And um, I, I, I like in a way how when you're approaching the psychedelics at the moment, obviously you're getting a huge amount of coverage there. Mm -hmm. I suppose if you're into the subject at all, it seems to be everywhere. And in, especially in the last six or seven years, it's in mainstream media, mm -hmm. all of the work, and then you have all these conferences. But the harsh side of, let's say the dark side of psychedelics are not spoken about. Maybe they are. I feel that they're not as well documented in terms of the, the levels to which the mind, the, the, you, the places you can go. And I feel you mm -hmm. really have captured that. Um, so, uh, because that really comes across very early on. And mm -hmm. um, we don't want to give away the entire book, obviously, mm -hmm. and going through it, but it does, you do capture the, yeah. I mean, this is not like somebody is going and getting high with friends for 73 times. Obviously you've just said that you go through your, you had your yeah. rigorous sort of process, but, yeah. you are going into the depths of suffering yeah. living and being suffering and how to go how do you go back into that every time knowing yeah. it's like you know you're getting suited and ready for war almost yeah. yeah in a way i mean you you have to go through the same type of mental preparation that a soldier does before battle and a mother does before labor. You just yeah. really be focused, internalized, and ready for whatever the day may bring. Uh, you know, at the end of the first chapter, I said the single greatest concern I have about bringing the story of my journey forward is the amount of suffering that it contains. Mm -hmm. And so I take some time to try to explain to the reader, to prepare the reader for what this suffering, suffering represents and specifically the suffering of death and rebirth. That this is, this is one of the natural components of deep work with psychedelics, that in order to move into a deeper state of consciousness, a state of consciousness where you can experience things that the physical consciousness cannot experience, you must surrender deeply your attachment to your physical consciousness, to your embodied identity. And you go through a death rebirth process, it's that, 
first level of death and rebirth around ego death, I think is frequently discussed and, and honored in uh, the therapeutic discussion. But what I think is less attended to is the fact that when you go into still deeper levels of consciousness beyond the early levels and beyond the middle levels, you have to go through the same process of radical surrender uh, of everything you've known to be true up to that point in time. So you have to surrender even your own LSD experiences, your psychedelic experiences, in order to go through yet another round of death and rebirth in order to wake up to yet another deeper dimensions of existence. So if you're going to press the journey hard or long, as I did, you're going to go through a lot of purification, a lot of detoxification, and a lot of death and rebirth. And the reason I think you go through so much purification is I think every, every deeper level of the universe operates at a higher level of energy. So if you're going to break through to a deeper level of consciousness and a deeper level of the universe, you have to go through a purification process so that your consciousness can stabilize effectively at that deeper level of consciousness so that your awareness can remain coherent there. And otherwise, if you don't, your awareness will always remain fragmented. You won't be able to bring back a coherent experience. But there is a lot of suffering. It's not like there's suffering in the universe, but if you want to explore the universe, you must be willing to go through a deep series of purifications, purifications unto death, in order to enter into that dialogue, that communion. Hmm. And what do you, what do you think death is? Uh, well, as I say in the book, eventually you come to a point, if you've gone through many cycles of death and rebirth, you come to a point where the death loses its meaning because you've learned from experience that you can die, you can lose all your reality reference points. Everything you know yourself to be can be shattered and destroyed. But the phoenix always rises. You always wake up. You, a changed you, always awakens in a deeper capacity and a deeper level of reality. So from this perspective, eventually, you learn that there is no such thing as death. There is only the shedding of one particular set of parameters within which awareness operates, shedding those parameters and letting consciousness expand to a deeper experience of reality. What we usually mean, and, and I think death of the physical body is something very similar. What you go through in an LSD session, deep one, that type of death approximates what happens when you go through physical death. The body dies, you lose your physical reference points, consciousness expands into a deeper and broader universe. But eventually, the very concept of death loses its meaning in this respect. Hmm. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, there's two ways I was going to go. So I, I'll come back. Yeah. I'll, I'll come back to the way I was going to go on that. Um, the grueling impact of that on, uh, like, I spoke to somebody, and in a way, it's existential. It can be existentially violent, a psychedelic experience. 
Yes. Is, is, yeah. And there's moments, I mean, I think that's a good, it's a good description, existentially Fair. violent. Fair description. Um, yeah. Uh, and what's like, and the, the, I don't think also that you ever get comfortable. It's not like you suddenly go, okay, I've done 50 and uh, this is going to be no problem because there's bigger <laughs> levels. Is that fair to say? <laughs> and that's, I thought that you would go through a period of, you know, death, rebirth and purging and whatnot, and you would get to a stable place and all, all entries from that point on would be clearer and easier. I found that that's not true. That the, inf the universe is infinitely deep with an infinite number of levels. And as long as you keep pushing the outer edges of your experience, if you're willing to go farther, the universe will keep taking you in deeper and it always will require some deep surrender, some death and rebirth process to move deeper into it. And, yeah. and when, you, when you say universe, what, what do you, what's that to you? What yeah. is, when I, what's that word mean to you? Yeah. Well, my experience is, of course, when you let go of consciousness at the physical level, you enter into a deeper dimension of consciousness and then later is still a deeper dimension and still a deeper dimension. And it's all coherent from top to bottom and it is all fundamentally unified. For me, it never took a face. It never showed an identity as such. It was always open-ended and perpetually fluid and invisible and yet very deeply felt. So what do we call this thing? What do we call this consciousness which we dissolve into at successive levels? Some might call it the infinite, the absolute. I call it both of those things. Um, I call it the creative intelligence of the universe. It feels to be the creative intelligence that's inside the universe and behind the universe. Different aspects coming forward <clears throat> at different times. In the end, in my heart of hearts, I call it my beloved. Because you do, once you enter into it, once you dissolve into it, once you recover your true identity within its identity, then it opens up dimensions of love within you and it pours dimensions of love within you that it becomes my beloved. Sometimes I call it the great expanse, something to suggest the vastness, its vastness, its power, its creativity, its intelligence. And of course, since compassion is a mark of oneness, it's inherent oneness. So that compassion is a spontaneous manifestation of its innate oneness. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I think you quoted um, some um, an Indian guru who used the word "the beloved," and um, was the guy mm -hmm. um, in England. He, he would refer to oneness. So he would refer to the beloved. Um, Tony Parsons would talk about unconditional love that um, mm. that it's mm -hmm. um, but not the love that we would know it's um, it's love beyond conditions beyond it's not a personal it's the allowance of all things yeah it's it's a deeper love than human love but I think it is alive in the best of us when we experience love but it is it is a, it's a radical love it's a it's the love that the Tao has for the 10,000 things you know, yeah. it's, it is the, 
love that being has for its own self, for its own being. Because in the end, from its perspective, all of us and all of creation is a manifestation of its being. So how could it not love itself? And therefore, how could it not love us? Mm. So let's see, can we, um, I'm going to go um, this route and we'll see where it goes. Say the uh -huh. uh, idea of my beloved and its, um, uh, who do you think is describing, when you say it's my beloved, who, who is describing the beloved? You know, this sort of perspective, because there yeah. is a perspective that it cannot see itself only in reflections. And it, because it is already what's happening, the mm -hmm. beloved is already what's happening there. Yeah. That it, it can't, it can only ever appear as, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, you know where I'm going with that? Or do you, have you sense yeah. where I'm going with that? Yeah, I do. But it's it's very I hard to objectify in a way when yeah. that objectifying is almost, well, it is a part of the beloved. Yeah. Is a happening already. Yeah. It's fresh already. Yeah. It's, 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 it's already complete. In other words, what you're saying there, yeah. whilst we're kind of talking about experiences that you've had and you've written a book, it's, it gives the impression of being once removed, but obviously it's a part already. Of yeah. The you know, we have all sorts of ideas and stories we tell ourselves about what this totality consciousness is and isn't and what it can know and can't know. And I think a lot of that is just cultural scripting. Uh, it's, it's our best guess. It's our best cultural guess. And our best cultural guess is not very old at this juncture. We've been kind of making these metaphysical guesses or intuitions for 5,000 years. Mm -hmm. But this intelligence is 13.7 plus billion years in the making and unfolding. And we're just kind of getting to the stop place in our evolution where we can really begin to engage it. So I, my sense is, I don't know whether this intelligence is not self-aware except through us. That seems kind of outrageously, uh, puts enormous privilege of place on us as to be the mirror of the divine. Why should we assume that this intelligence is not self-aware as it unfolds itself with seeming pointed accuracy through time and space? So what I can say is this. When I lose my boundaries as Chris Beish, when I allow myself to dissolve as Chris Beish and enter into these deeper layers, there's many, many layers of this phenomenon. So some of the early layers have to do with my species consciousness, the, the mind of the collective unconscious, the mind of my species. Other layers have to do with the mind of our planet, Gaia consciousness. And there are multiple layers going right through species mind, the archetypal mind, archetypal dimensions, uh, the root causes of some of the patterns inside time and space, the root cause even of time and space itself, moving even deeper into dimensions of oneness, permutations of oneness, uh, even entering into a, the primal void that appears to be the the formlessness out of which all form emerges with the Big Bang and subsequently, and then entering beyond even that. And at each level of entry, entering into clearer and clearer and clearer states of being, states of, of awareness. Now, yeah, that. And so 
it's hard for me to imagine that the being or dimension of being that I have been in it for hours at a time would not also be self-aware in its unfolding. Now, it's also been the case that I've had the experience that this creative intelligence or an aspect of creative intelligence met me in my sessions, took me on a cosmic tour, you know, in that chapter, Initiation into the Universe, and it seemed to want to show me its work. It seemed especially pleased to have evolved consciousness to the point where some of that consciousness could come back and be shown what has actually been being worked on for billions and billions of years. So it seems to delight in being known, but I wouldn't say necessarily that it didn't know itself before I knew it. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, did you, and did you get a sense of, um, or do you still have a sense of the, despite having spent so much time that in a way you're still only, it's impossible. It's so, the, the vastness, the extra, the, it, that it's still scraping the surface, the enormity of the all of everything. Yeah, so this was a major change in my thinking. It took place in the 50th session. So, so my background is I did four years of work. I stopped for six years, and then I did 10 years of work. So 14 years of active work over 20 years. Yeah. But when I was entering into the last five years of work, four of those years of what I call the diamond luminosity work, uh, and this was 26 sessions out of 26 sessions. That's about a third of all the sessions in the book. Four of those sessions took me into this diamond luminosity, uh, an unbelievably beautiful, ecstatic, empty consciousness that was just clear, just clear beyond imagination, just so clear, so hyper clear that once you touch it, nothing else matters except returning to it. Nothing else I had entered in earlier stages mattered in the least compared to connecting with this. And this is what uh, the Buddhists call, I think, the closest thing I could find is what they call Dharmakaya. You know, they have three dimensions or three modalities of existence, Dharmakaya, Sambhogakaya, and Nirmanakaya. Dharmakaya being the deepest and Dharmakaya the absolute, the light, of, the clear light of absolute reality just kind of the light out of which existence emerges. Uh, I'm sorry, I got so involved in the description, I lost track with the, the original question. Focus well, on I think I know where you're going, though, because we were talking yeah. about the vastness and scraping the surface, oh. and you kind uh, of yeah. said, yeah. Yeah. So I was 50 sessions in. I was in the second of the four Diamond Luminosity sessions. I was as deep into ecstatic, diamond consciousness as I had ever gone and would ever go. It was the deepest penetration in that way. And toward the end of the session, I had this experience where my visual field flipped 90 degrees, a huge space opened up, and beyond where I was, there was another reality, worlds upon worlds beyond me, and there was a light there. And a beam of this light hit me, and it shattered me. And I called the light the absolute light just to give it a differentiating name from the diamond luminosity light. But what it showed me was that 
there were worlds and worlds beyond where I was, as far beyond where I was as the diamond luminosity was beyond time and space. Mm. So that told me that an idea that I had taken into this work, that the purpose of this work was to get to an end point, an end stage, a destination to go home, something like this, that uh, that was just not an accurate assumption. You do repeatedly have a sense of going home. You do enter into deep, deep experiences of homecoming. And for me, the diamond luminosity was my actual practical destination. I did not go deeper than that. It totally satisfied me in all respects. I continued to do the session work, but for, for the next 23 sessions, it wasn't going deeper into the diamond luminosity, but it was internalizing diamond luminosity, soaking deeper and deeper into my physical and psychological being. But it's, a, it's an infinite ocean, and uh, I, don't, I gave up completely the idea of ever getting to the end of it. Mm, unfathomable. It Un is unfathomable, everything. Well, uh, in a sense. I mean, I, I have a tendency that, um, you know, what is the term we use for not being able to, ineffable. You know, we, yeah. we like to say the mystical is ineffable. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that's... That's true, I understand, you know, language falters, but I think making ineffability a primary characteristic of mystical experience, I think it cuts off rather than opens up. Um, I think we should exhaust ourselves trying to describe what lies at the edges of our awareness rather than surrendering to the silence. So unfathomable in one sense, but not unfathomable in another sense. I think I fathomed what I entered. I mean, I yeah. went back again and again and again, and I stabilized consciousness and I understood it. But there are dimensions beyond which I understood. Mm. And even my understanding of what I experience is admittedly limited. Okay? But I wouldn't want to say that the reality itself is innately unfathomable. I think we can fathom, but it takes hard work and discipline. Okay. Um, there's a part of the book, um, and it's, um, I think you kind of describe the, the, it's the royal we, let's just say, you kind of describe it's us, you say us creating yeah. everything, the, the royal us. Um, yeah. No, you haven't used the word the royal, but that's that's the sense of me. It's a kind of that. Yeah. It's a generic feeling of usness, but yeah. in in that, um, uh, yeah, I was just curious a little bit. What does that bring back to you when I when I mention that that yeah. that creation? What what does that say? Uh, yeah, what does that remind yeah. you of? As a matter of well, just... first of all, this it, it reminds me to mention that this book is not primarily a therapeutic story and it's not a story about my personal healing or my the the work that the advice or the counsel that i got from the universe at a personal level for my personal life it's not that i didn't receive those things i did receive those things but i've dropped them out for the most part in the story mm. and in the story i'm focusing on what took place during the peak hours of these high intense sessions and that it's a fundamentally a cosmological story. It's a story about the universe and about 
the, the aspects of these sessions that have generalizable significance, where we're touching dimensions of reality that are dimensions that all human beings share in, in one way or another. So sometimes I, I speak about the we in the book because I'm basically acknowledging that the, what's important in these experiences is not that I experience them. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that these dimensions are available for all of us to experience if we use sufficient technologies and, and techniques to get into these territories, including non-psychedelic techniques, meditation, contemplation, silence, so on and so forth. That's the important story. So when, when you enter these profoundly expansive, encompassing states of consciousness, you're, you're not an I when you go into it. You're, you're, there's an I in the sense that you have continuity of memory. When you go in and you come back, you can remember it. So there is a sense in which I is present in order to facilitate recall. But what this I has become in the point of entry, you have ceased to function as an individual. In some of these, I cease to function as a human being per se. When you're operating beyond the species mind at archetypal reality, levels you have to cease to function as a human being and you have to learn how to be conscious not as a human being is conscious but in a totally new and unprecedented way and the universe will take you in and teach you i mean you literally will give you exercises and disciplined exercises which you repeat it repeats over and over inside the sessions and you have to take the, set, the assignments you're given in the sessions after the sessions and do your homework in order to kind of enter fully consciously into subsequent sessions. Yeah. I've, I've meandered a bit on your question, but you get no, the but it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of interesting though, um, even though you didn't mention the personal journey really in the book, like you say, it was the bigger, let's say, or the, but it's funny how the psychedelics seem to always remind that yeah. element. And it's kind of yeah. like, you know, it'll give you this list of things. Let's say eight will give, but there will be, that will come up every time. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's and almost like, have you, have you been doing this, 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 and this, or, you know, or, but it's kind of like you're, yeah. you're, I don't know what it is exactly. Maybe it's eating well, being nicer. It's all kind of very personal things. Yeah. It's personal. Yeah, I mean, I own the journey. It was my journey, and it has all my limitations into it. In it, and what's important is whatever I experience that it be placed on a table beside other people's experiences, and we look at lots of people's experiences simultaneously to find how they fit together. What's the common ground? What's idiosyncratic? You know, if from a philosophical perspective, I want to know what's real. And one of the best ways to know what's real is, you know, compare lots of people's experiences of this reality so we can see it through that prism. Uh, but within my own experience, I, I own that it is my journey. It's a personal journey. And yet the most important parts of the journey didn't really involve me in a sense. Let's say the filter of Chris Beish was highly polished away, shattered, deconstructed at the most important parts of the journey. 
And do you think, in a way, um, uh, the you know when you went through this suffering, the, the humongous amount of uh, that suffering, the ocean um, of suffering, the ocean of suffering, you called it, yeah. yeah. Um, an ocean is pretty big. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, do you th- just talk about the ego death a little bit there within that ocean of suffering? Do you think that you were there in that, or there was just the suffering? You know what I mean? There was, yeah. Or were you well, in that suffering? Or then every time it felt like it's almost you yeah, had to go through all that to be. It's like the dying on the cross, that kind of symbology of all that suffering is almost to kill the resistance. Yeah. And then yeah. within that, the expansiveness can happen. Yeah. Is that true? Well, my understanding of the ocean of suffering deepened and changed over the years. Mm-hmm. What happened is after about two years, two and a half years of work, first 10 sessions, I went through what Stan Groff describes as the perinatal level of consciousness. I felt like a poster child for the perinatal, severe seizures, existential crisis, confronting the meaninglessness of life, so on and so forth, reliving aspects of my birth, and eventually went through a a deep and shattering ego death experience where everything I knew myself to be was turned inside out and I was forced to become the opposite of what I knew myself to be. I was a male, highly educated, white academic, obsessed with the meaning of life. I became women, lots of women, women of color, women who had no philosophical interest whatsoever. And and basically, it just shattered me. It just shattered my identity and then took me into uh, a deeper uh, spiritual dimension. After one transition experience, I went then from that condition into the ocean of suffering, which was an expanding landscape that was systematically expanded year by year for over two years of active session work, 14 sessions. Uh, Just horrendous planes of human suffering opening to thousands and thousands of beings, thousands of years, just unimaginable, brutal uh, brutalities. And at first I thought this was a deepening of my ego death. I didn't understand why I had to go through this, but it, based on the information that I was working on at the time, I thought it was a deepening of ego death. But over time, I changed my mind on that. And that is, now I understand that there are different levels of the universe and what's happening differs according to which level you're operating on. At this level of the universe, I was operating in subtle level reality. I was operating in the context of the species mind and that these tremendous purification processes this encounter and opening to the pain and letting the pain in let it move through me was not really aimed at my personal transformation but was aimed at transforming some aspect of the collective psyche so that the healing being generated here was was aimed at my species not at me personally and this built up for two years. Actually, there was one year. I stopped for six years. I started then six years later, and the ocean of suffering started exactly where I had stopped six years before, 
and it continued to deepen and deepen and eventually reached a crescendo of an orgy of suffering and pain. And then I was spun into archetypal reality and the ocean of suffering never returned. So I think that just as there was a process of cleaning out the personal unconscious leading an ego death, there was a cleaning out or healing of some aspect of the collective unconscious and then being spun beyond the species mind into archetypal levels of reality. The, what, what prevents this suffering from being internalized in your system is trauma, is that when you do this work, if you surrender completely and let the session take you wherever it wants to take you, even though it doesn't make sense at the time, it will take you to a culmination, a breaking point, and then you will be spun through that. You'll go through to a point of reconciliation, of ecstatic embrace. And then what you internalize and love, uh, what you internalize then is the whole cycle, the, the physical violence or the psychological violence, breakthrough and reconciliation harmony so that it doesn't internalize as trauma. You learn the cycle, you trust the cycle. I was willing to go back into the pain for two reasons. One, because I felt a calling to it. I felt a destiny calling me to engage this pain for, in ways I explain in the book. But the other one is that I, I really wasn't a glutton for pain. I hated the pain. I was a glutton for what lay on the other side of pain or the insights and the ecstasy that I got on the other side. When I started going through on the second year of this ocean of suffering, and I broke through into these series of sessions that I summarize in that chapter, Initiation of the Universe, one of the first things it did was take me deep, deep, deep in time back to what felt to be the font of creation. And there I was, I experienced the beginnings of creation, the Big Bang type of experience. And I experienced it as a, a choice that in some strange way, I and all of us had participated in, that we chose to participate in creation. We chose to participate voluntarily in the act of creating a universe, galaxies, solar systems, the human species, that the suffering that we've encountered on this agenda, on this adventure is not being inflicted on us. It's something we chose as kind of a passage, a rite of passage to participate in the creation or the self-expression, the self-manifestation of our universe. Chose. Chose. Yeah. Hard to say what that means at the level of soul that we're talking about, but we're, but there are no conscripts here we are volunteers mm. yeah. during the book there is a part where you, you mentioned i think you i think you said the sense of no beginning no beginning i have to think about that uh I, it, you know, that doesn't ring a bell. I'd have to okay, count. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, say, um, say this idea, it does explode time. It, psychedelics oh. explodes the sense of duration yeah. or 
let's just say this idea of the infinity or eternity or timelessness, yeah. maybe more so. Um, I'd, and, and, I'd say there, there's yeah. different modalities in which time exists that you experience in psychedelic states. There is an experience of timelessness or moving beyond time, moving outside of time and space. And that's, I've had that experience. I've gone there. But there's another more subtle dimension of time experience that I call deep time. Deep time is moving into temporal envelopes where different spans of time can be experienced as simultaneously now. So in one of the early sessions in the teens, I experienced stably in seven consecutive sessions, my life from beginning to end, all the experiences of my life as simultaneously taking place now. Mm. So I experienced what it felt like to be old in a distilled essence kind of way. Later on, I was taken into larger segments of deep time, what I would call collective deep time, where I was being taught or shown aspects of human evolution that required a larger time landscape in order to show them to me. Uh, maybe a, a landscape of 100,000 years or so. And at the very end of the journey, in the 70th session, what I call the final vision, I was taken into a temporal landscape who knows, hard to describe the scale, but somewhere on the order of maybe a million years. So what I've come away with is the conviction that there are, there are different modalities of time operating within the universe. And I don't be, begin to understand how this is possible. I've had some interesting conversation with some physicists who are exploring different temporal dimensions within the universe. I'm not a physicist. All I know is that I've been taken in and out of time multiple ways in multiple frames of reference, only one of which is a negation of time in itself. Most frequently, it allowed to experience different modalities of time or different aggregations of time. Hmm. Yeah. I suppose, um, the, and so the idea, if I said to you, there is no time, what would you? I would, I would say there are dimensions of existence in which that's true. Time comes into existence with space. Time and space is a sort of a fundamental unit. So when one moves, in a sense, to the edges of space, you move into domains where time behaves differently. So within space-time, this time is very convenient. You know, the arrow of time is generally true, but that doesn't seem to exhaust the whole of the universe with respect to time. We now know that what 96% of the universe is dark matter and dark energy, which we don't know what the hell's going on there. So we're now getting used to understanding that time space is really just like the skin of an apple. Mm. There's a lot going on underneath the skin of the apple. That's true for space. It's also true for time, I think. And um, do you think time is related to the sen this sense of I, an ego, would say, or a sense of this, that when there's a center in the universe, let's just say, uh, you know, when you're location-based, and then mm -hmm. sometimes during the trip, you can be exploded. It can mm -hmm. be just gone, gone, mm -hmm. gone. Gone, gone, yeah. Gone, gone. 
gone, gone, gone. Um, yeah. And in that, even uh, this idea of any time that is almost a requirement of a separate human who lives in time and is a certain amount of finite and who knows the world, knows this is Earth and this is 2019 and all these yeah. pillars of knowledge. And that's yeah. what's the, the little piece in the center of all of that is that holds it together, yeah. this little yeah. me and this world. And that when that's, say, gone, that there's just timelessness. And in that, it's whatever appears. So yeah. whatever is appearing here in this conversation is yeah. all of everything. And whatever appears in the vastness of one of those trips is all of everything. Yeah. Yeah, is that you, describe, you describe very nicely. I, I like your description of how individual awareness kind of anchors our sense of time. And when individual awareness is shattered or blown out, then our sense, our experience of time changes. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know whether for everybody, when individual awareness becomes transparent or shunyata, emptiness, or is blown out, I don't know whether everybody necessarily flips into pure timelessness. Mm. It, my sense, I'd rather say there are different modalities of time that we can move into when we are, don't, are not so heavily grounded in our physical body sense of identity. Okay? But yeah, time becomes porous. Time becomes, well, becomes porous. And we can experience, we can have insights that have to do with future, so-called future time. We can have insights of what's going on that violate the patterns of space. We can know something that's going on that's outside of our physical senses. That's happening now, but far away in space. We can have experiences of something that's happening far away in time. And so time does get permeable. Yeah. Yeah, and um, not to, you did speak a bit, a bit about this uh, somehow being able to see futures, and um, I'd, I'd be familiar with that, and I've heard it in a good few places too. It's it's yeah, it's it it does collapse a lot of things. Um, uh, what was I going to ask you? Mm -hmm. um, the I suppose yeah, in that kind of. Say, yeah, I'll just describe something to you. One thing that I had, and I think you've definitely, you touched on it a, a, a big bit in the book, is this idea that um, you come out of this trip having, let's just say, tasted the infinite. And then you're gone from, that's gone, and you're back to being Chris mm -hmm. in the world, mm -hmm. having to get up and do taxes and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And the, yeah. that sense of loss, that it wasn't a feeling of it not for you now, it wasn't ever present. Or was that true? Is, is there's a big bit about yeah. that kind of loss of the, the feeling yeah. that you lost the beloved. That separateness well, almost coming back. Yeah. When one does, allows one's egoic reality or body-mind identity to dissolve and experiences the, a deeper landscape of the universe, some aspect of the universe. It's, a, it's an awfully exciting and uh, affirming and empowering experience. Uh, 
just to have that experience of some aspect of the intelligence that runs through all things, that is alive in all things. Uh, to have insights that convince you that you yourself participate in that intelligence and you yourself are alive in time in a way that expands beyond you know, your traditional ways of thinking. In my case, I press so hard and so deep into uh, the fabric of existence, into the fabric of the creative intelligence. I pushed into the diamond body of, I'm hesitant to speak about God and the divine because that has, those words have so much cultural baggage around them yeah. that I don't want to import. But inevitably, I, you have to speak about a purified or cleaned up vision of the divine in order to, that's the closest vocabulary our culture has for pointing to these extreme facets of existence. I pushed so deeply into that, touched it so intimately that uh, when I stopped my sessions, not until I stopped my sessions, as long as I was going back and touching this reality periodically through the years, I didn't have this sense of a, a deep sadness that took, came over after I stopped my sessions. I stopped my sessions, and in the years following, I began to miss this dimension of existence. There were good reasons, which I explained in the book, why I felt mm -hmm. I had to stop my work. But the consequences of stopping the work was not being able to have even a few hours at a time, a few times a year of exquisite intimacy with this reality. Now, there are beings who, because of their spiritual practice, are able to maintain some type of version of this intimacy with transcendence, with the divine in their daily life. And I understand that, all power and honor to the great masters. Uh, they're my heroes, they're my guiding lights. I knew that in my case, I did not have the capacity at this stage in my life to stabilize these extreme states of consciousness. It would take not only years and years, but lifetimes of spiritual practice to succeed in doing that. So there was a sense, a true sense of loss. I had to contend myself with having had these experiences, but not being able to abide continuously in those experiences. And that took, that took a while. I mean, I basically went into a, a sadness that was so deep that I found that I was just waiting to die. Mm. I, was, I was taking care of my children. I was lecturing. I was doing my, my work. But in my heart, I was just waiting to die so that I could return to the light. And that over time, I began to realize you know, that was really not a good way to live. I really had to see what was at the bottom of this. And what was at the bottom of this, I think, is an imbalance that I allowed to develop between transcendence and imminence. It's all the divine. The physical world is the divine. But there's the transcendent divine and the imminent divine. And I had plunged so deep into the joy of the transcendent divine that to a certain degree, I lost my footing inside the imminent divine. And I had to really recommit myself to uh, grabbing my physical existence and being 
what I was, as I was, here, incomplete as I was, for the remainder of my life. And I did. I, and, and I have kind of, I'm fully grounded here, and I do my spiritual practice. Uh, and I hope that my sessions will continue to absorb themselves into my body. And my transformation is not over yet. It's a work in progress. And um, so if I was, you mentioned about the masters having um, arrived almost, or um, can I ask you, um, what, um, what do you think that would look like at that place of arrival? That in daily life? Well, again, there are many, many levels um, to- but Say these masters that you oh, mentioned, the masters yeah. that you mentioned. But even the masters, I mean, the, there are many levels of the gradients of, of masterhood and which these traditions articulate with great detail. I think the first the kind of point of entry into this spiritually transformed existence is, one second, let me take care of something that's just popped up on my screen, which is getting in the way. Okay, we'll have sure. to let it be. One of the, uh, the point of entry is, I think, transparency. We become transparent. We, dis we let go of our egoic identification and we are able to be transparent to the larger flow of life, the larger matrix of cause and effect, and to the sheer immediacy of presence inside physical existence. And then from there, they're just degrees of deepening and deepening and deepening so that some masters have exist in such a deep intersection of time, space, reality, and spiritual reality that they can literally leave their fingerprints in stone. I mean, that's how much energy they're carrying. That's the, the level of consciousness that they're living in 24 seven. So their very beings are surrounded by what we would call miracles, but they don't call them miracles. They call them the natural consequence of integrating spirit reality and physical reality into their physical, into their precious body. So there are levels and levels of mastery. I can envision and imagine what the lower levels might look like. I mean, I've taught courses in comparative mysticism. I've studied the mystics. But what it would be like to actually stabilize what I call the diamond luminosity, to live in a perpetual awareness of diamond luminosity, that's hard for, for me to imagine. Likewise, it's hard for me to imagine being living in conditions which have radically transcended time as I have experienced for a few hours at a time here and there. I mean, that's just a radical state of consciousness. So I think in my psychedelic work, I started it with an eye towards spiritual awakening, accelerating my spiritual enlightenment, personal transformation, things like this. That quickly fell away as uh, a not worthy goal for the work that I was doing. Collective transformation, collective enlightenment took its place. And then later the journey became a cosmological adventure, an adventure in exploring the deep fabric of the universe at successive levels. It, it did not become, it not, did not retain its role as just trying to awaken spiritually. 
awakening spiritually was is, is a perfectly good goal and agenda. But what happened in my sessions was m about something different than just awakening spiritually. It was about exploring the deep fabric of the universe. And you don't have to explore the deep fabric of the universe to awaken spiritually and even to be God-realized, even to be kind of fully saturated with divine awareness. This is a different agenda. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, and um, uh, you see, a part of me um, when I've... Uh, I didn't like the idea that there was here and there, this idea in psychedelics, yeah. that there was this realm and that this yeah. was not this realm. Yeah. And, that, and so I always felt a sort of a dissatisfaction one way or another, for a period of time anyway, that it was kind of, yeah. okay, it was hugely experiential, humongously, but um, it's almost it could become another path and the path is endless in a way. Yeah. The path yeah. of this idea of becoming. Now that seemed to all fall away. This, uh, and in the end, yeah. the, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that, um, I suppose in the end, I'm just curious about the first question I asked you at the start and back mm -hmm. to here. Back, and in your book, during the trips, it felt like everything was, during the trips, bringing you back to this every time. It seemed to yeah. be it, this, which I kind of liked yeah. that because I felt, well, has to be this. Yeah. It has to be completely what's happening as well yeah. as anything else. And, I, and I'm curious, what's your sense of that? Because it did yeah. seem to go full circle in everything. And I like yeah. that it, it, you went to the depths of hell and the highest heavens. But every time at the end of the trip, always you returned. But even during the trip, it felt like towards the end of your journeys, it yeah. felt like you were brought back to what's happening. Yeah. And that I liked, I really liked that because I, this, the, for me, it has to be, this has yeah. to be within the grasp of a child. It can't be otherly. Yeah. It has to be this, it has to be yeah. what's happening. And I kind of liked that in the book, that to give, it, it felt like everything brought you back to this. Yeah. Is that, is that you, you, you catch the arc of it well and you describe it well. In the early sessions, in the early years, there was a, a, an acute sense of going out, experiencing a universe. There was a sense of going out, coming back, always coming back to right here, right now, learning the lessons, but going out deeper and deeper into the universe. And then late in the sessions, that changed. There was less of a sense of going anywhere and more of a sense of being here, right here, right now, clear, 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 cleaning, 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 right here, right now. It was as if after taking me, excuse me, so deep and giving me the sample deep into the universe, deep into the diamond luminosity, and then showing me that there was a world upon world upon world beyond that even still, at that point, everything shifted, and the last 23 sessions or so were really about cleaning, cleaning, cleaning right here, right now. And the arc of the sessions arced back towards something like classical spiritual awakening to the here and now, to the consciousness, which is the ever, the ever pure, effervescent, 
source out of which your moment-to-moment -moment awareness springs, out of which the universe springs moment-to-moment, -moment, bringing back to here and now, here and now. Uh, yeah, in the end, I think everything we do in all spiritual practice and including all psychedelic practice is all about purification in the deepest sense we end up where we started, except that where we started, our mind was encumbered by all sorts of conditioning and obscurations. And in the end, hopefully, those uh, obscurations are gone, and you have the opportunity to experience what the Buddhists call the nature of mind, or your mind in its natural condition, or Atman, or Satchitananda. Yeah. And on that then, if I said to you that the beloved never left you, that this is the beloved happening, how would yes. that, does that, oh, I, I, it's, never, it's never free. left you, it's always never this. left. No, the physical, the physical world is the body of my beloved. I know that. It's just that on some days I can experience her more completely than on other days. And on the days when I can't experience her completely, and it's all my fault, only my fault, only my limitations. I miss the days when I could experience her it in complete transparency and her complete beauty. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting it's thing to say her. it's my fault. That's an interesting, they're interesting words to say it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my limitations. It's only my limitations, you know? So it, the limitations are not the limitations of the substance itself. They're not the limitations of reality. It's only the limitations of my ability to experience the truth of what is at any point in time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask a couple of um, mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, questions. You, you allude to Alan Watts. Yes. Uh, oh, you can hear me. Sorry, you've got wireless. Um, you allude to Alan Watts and hanging up the phone. Yeah. And this is what happens when you don't hang up the phone, which I, I think is a great, it's a great way to describe the book in essence. This is what happens when you don't hang up the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your sense of that? Uh, um, not really a question, but it's, well, it's, that it's, was a, big, it's a big thing. Like It is. I mean, Houston Smith, when he wrote his book, Cleansing the Doors of Perception, uh, which is his collected reflections on uh, a lifetime of scholarship as a professor of religious studies, and, and one that I'm very close to because I taught out of Houston Smith's books for decades in my world religions course. So I've internalized his mind a lot. But when he wrote that collection of essays, he had only taken LSD six times. And he said, at that point, the bummers increased and the benefits decreased, and he took Alan Watts' adage seriously, when you get the message, hang up the phone. Uh, and I say, this book is about what happens if you don't hang up the phone. And if you don't hang up the phone, a long journey begins, a journey that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And I understand where the bummers increased, that's part of the death rebirth cycle. But if you're willing to submit to those bummers, or you're willing to submit to that purification process, the adventure, begins the adventure deepens and you're, you're just taking on layer after layer this following the cycle of death and rebirth into deeper levels of initiation as a philosopher 
that was extraordinarily valuable to me. Now, when you say we get, if you get the lesson, hang up the phone, what were they referring to? Well, I would assume that they're referring to the lessons of oneness, which is, comes up often early in the work, the truth of oneness, the teachings of oneness, the compassion of oneness, the ethics of oneness, the identity that one realizes when one realizes that the entire world is one at its core. All those things are very, very good, but there's just so much more that we can experience if we, if we jump into. So my sense is, it's an, a subtle interactive dance between the mind doing the exploring and the mind being explored. So small mind, big mind. And when we, that the mind being explored, that the universal mind is an infinite mind capable of infinite experiences. So the mind we drop into it acts as a seed catalyst, a seed crystal that catalyzes a certain set of experiences from its infinite potential. Those experiences change us, they illumine us, they purify us, they help us face our, confront, confront our restrictions. So that the next time we drop that mind into the infinite ocean, it's a different seed, seed crystal, it's a different mind. And it elicits a still deeper set of experiences out of the infinite potential. And if we keep this up, we keep this up, we are changed by the journey, we, the journey deepens, we're changed, the journey deepens, that the universe reveals itself, multiple, multiple layers of the universe will systematically reveal itself in an organized fashion. My experience at least was that it paid a great deal of attention to making sure that I understood every lesson as it was being given me. There were some sessions which were retroactive and really kind of going back in the past to explain what I had experienced. There were some sessions which were more showing me where we were going, but they were always in conscious dialogue with this creative intelligence. Mm. So the journey to me is, uh, it's much more, I mean, right now we're just getting started on the psychedelic Renaissance, you know, the very important work, so important the ambitions right now are modest get us getting it legal uh learning the biology of psychedelics more clearly the how they do the work they do and healing healing the personal psyche healing from post-traumatic stress healing from depression uh, healing death anxiety really really important work but healing the personal unconscious is just the first stage or the early stage of a much, much longer journey of exploration. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, um, it's, it's huge. I suppose what I'm saying, and that I think in a way the personal, a lot of, you see, for me, the, uh, first of all, uh, this idea of the ha uh, hang, hanging up the phone or not hanging up the phone, I think that's just a, it's just a sentence. Uh, it, it, oneness yeah. is doing it 73 times and oneness is doing mm -hmm. it once. So that's, to me, it's all yeah. happening and anyway. Um, yeah. And um, uh I, I suppose I what I'm in, I think the message is this that it's 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 it is doing the trip fifty five times seventy three times 
and it's it's in the doing and that the, the hanging up the phone is that it's it's you can't hang up really because that's <laughs> who's going yeah. to hang up in a way <laughs> and that that this is the, the only message is that this is it but it's not a kind of a fixed it it's, yeah yeah that's the one message. of the things, it's, it, the things it's, it turns out yeah is um uh, when you go in and out of non-ordinary states of consciousness repeatedly you, in this way, you, just, you really have to face that terrible moment when you realize that everything you've experienced in your sessions is taking place 24-7. You're just not tuned into it. Mm. So the joy, the beauty, uh, the work, uh, the clarity, all of that is taking place continuously. Oneness does not stop being oneness just because you start being not paying attention to it. It's yeah. all taking place seriously so that you begin to realize, my God, I'm living in heaven if I pay attention. If I'm, if I'm not paying attention, then I'm living in the hell of samsara, where, where we are just pieces bumping around in a meaningless universe. But if I'm paying attention, the innate oneness of the world springs into flower around us. So, yeah. Well, you see, I think that's that shimmering line between um, uh, what's happening and stories um, from the past and from the future. But, mm. but within what's happening, there's no room for... It almost yeah. objectifies the universe by creating that separation that I'm here and I can pay attention to the world out there. And yeah. that's, that reinforces the separation. That really... Yeah. It isn't separate anyway. There is yeah. no separation anyway. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And in these sessions, you don't study the universe as if through a microscope. Mm. You open up to that part of your being where you are already that part of the universe. So it's always a matter of dissolving boundaries within your own awareness that allows you to experience, as you say, what is right here, right now. So you dissolve the part that keeps you separate from it. And when you then dissolve completely into what's here right now, you then experience different aspects of what's here right now. And so then uh, uh, beyond stories and beyond things, do you know what you are? <laughs> well, <laughs> If I, if I don't know what I am right now, it's not because the universe hasn't beaten it into my head repeatedly and just showed me mercilessly the truth of my being and the truth of all of our beings. So I'd say, yeah, I know what I am. That doesn't mean I can always hold that in my awareness 24-7. But yeah. I've had ample experiences of... of what I am and uh, that my identity is essentially the identity of the totality. And with that experience, there's tremendous relief, tremendous release. Uh, all judgments are dissolved. All judgments, good or bad, are dissolved. There is just the, the infinite joy of uh, one's true nature, one's true reality. And then the joy of living consciously in that reality rather than living unconsciously 
in that reality. If we live consciously in that reality, our life gets better and better. If we live unconsciously in that reality, then we're subject to the fluctuations of karmic conditioning, da 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 We get caught in all these scenarios. So the trick is to stay mindful, to be aware that we are always in subtle ways creating our reality and we can always create a better reality if we are more transparent to our nature, which turns out to be the same nature, which is bubbling up inside every living thing inside, around us, every person, every object, it's all one nature. And in that, there is tremendous relaxation. Mm. I think that's a nice way to finish. I think that's, um, um, I'll keep talking to you, but we have, um, so the book, uh, a couple of, it's available. Is it online now? I'll put a link, you can send me a link. Uh, Amazon, I can send you a link, amazon.com in the United okay. States has it on, they'll be releasing it November 26th. I'm told that England, Amazon will not be releasing theirs until January 2nd. I would assume that Ireland probably is more linked to amazon.com. So either November 26th in America or January 2nd in UK. Okay, very good. Um, and it's on, is it on Kindle also? It's, it's both on uh, this. It will be Kindle it will be. and there will be an audio book that will be released. I just finished recording it. It's going to be, yeah, I recorded it for Inner Traditions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's an epic journey. Epic is the only way You're, you've gone. <laughs> and I, th I like um, how, like I said at the very start also, I like how you haven't not necessarily glamorized. You haven't, this isn't a, a prescription. It's a description of what you have gone through and experienced and you've managed. It's like you, when I was a kid, I used to go into dreams and I used to try and take sweets out of the dreams and bring them home. And I'd wake up disappointed mm. that I couldn't bring yeah. the sweets out. Yeah. But in this yeah. book, I think you've managed to bring a few diamonds from heaven. Uh, so um, uh, well you, done, Frank. fair play. And um, I'll put the links up and um, I'll do a short version of this and then I'll do a longer one. Great. Thank you, Frank. Right. Thank you for helping me bring the book forward. I really do appreciate it. Uh, excellent questions. I enjoyed our conversation a lot. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for the chat. Thank you. And good luck with this. I hope it does well. Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Uh, Hi, if you like the conversation that I just had and you'd like more, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you.